And welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. You can find us on Playmaker Mentality. You can find us on iTunes. Please give us ratings. Please share with your friends. Please subscribe. We're always here to be providing new insights, talk about sports, society, and stuff. And this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about ways to spice up the podcast, add up some new ideas that potentially could help to make this even better, do some deep dives on some topics. And I've decided that this week, and we might do this maybe once every couple of months, maybe a little bit more frequent than that. I'm thinking once every couple of months is probably a good starting point, though, to have a special one-topic episode with multiple guests where we can have a forum, discuss lots of different things, and really get in-depth to one subject. And when we put this all together, we are going to specifically tonight talk about Nintendo video games from the 90s era. Now, pretty liberal way that we'll be talking about this. We are going to integrate Sega in as well because I want to talk about some of the controversial games for Sega. We are going to potentially with some of the dates. We all have different backgrounds, so we might get a little bit flexible on there. But overall, that is the main subject matter we're going to be discussing. And our goal by the end of this podcast is to collaboratively put together a list of the top five games from this era. And there will be a lot of discussion to be had. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the two guests that will be embarking on this journey with me, and I'll ask them to step forward, talk about, uh, first of all, what's going on, and then also what made them love these games in the first place. So both of these guests are familiar voices to this podcast, returning people who I'm very happy are back with us today. So first up, I'm going to throw it to Leo Howell, ESPN fantasy editor. Leo, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Doing good. Um, I, I honestly, when we first did this podcast, I thought we were going to talk more about video games in our in my episode. And so, like, I had a list. Like, I was ready. Like, I, I was ready to throw some hands if you were going to, like, talk some trash about my favorite games. And I was ready. So now I'm totally psyched to talk about old school video games because that was, like, one of the things I was hoping to do. But, yeah, other than that, good. Good. It's it snowed, which sucks. But other than that, we're good. Yeah, Florida to Connecticut, you learn that snow is definitely <laughs> something that happens it just here. Happens. That doesn't it just always happens. happen down yeah. there. And then also we have Arifa san with us. So Arif, I know that one particular era of gaming for you is particularly special. So this is now your opportunity to talk about it. So first of all, how are you doing? And second of all, why do you <laughs> care so much? about the span of time between 1996 to 1998? Well, first, uh, I'm doing excellently. Second, um, I always had this like thought in the back of my head, and I'm sure there are like, some really great think pieces on this that I haven't read yet. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, I think video gaming, uh, like, for its formative years for me, 1996 to 1998, I didn't really realize until later how incredible that era of, of gaming was. And, and by that I mean uh, it was, there were more genre-defining games in that three-year span than we've ever seen in, in video games, like even going all the way back to like Atari or, or going back to the last like 16, 18 years. 
and would enlist the game understand why, because these are all kind of still the gold standards for video games. So obviously, uh, you know, this episode is about Nintendo games. There's three Nintendo games that I want to bring up, but there's also more non-Nintendo games that I'll sort of briefly mention as absolutely, they're, they're still the genre-defining game uh, within within their genre. So the three Nintendo games uh, are Super Mario World 64, um, which that one's maybe like sort of the least influential, but it was definitely a really good introduction to the way that you can do sort of open-world gaming. Uh, but then after that, you've GoldenEye uh, 64, uh, probably one of the most influential shooters we've ever seen. Uh, you've got Pokemon uh, in 1996, uh, which is an entirely new brand of RPG that we hadn't seen. Uh, and then you've got the other two kinds of RPGs that are not Nintendo. You've got Baldur's Gate. Uh, and there's no question that for Western RPGs, I think Baldur's Gate uh, is the gold standard. It's the, it's the one that kind of changed role-playing gaming forever. And then for Eastern RPGs, Final Fantasy VII, it's considered to be sort of maybe the most popular Eastern RPG still. Uh, that was released, uh, I think, like, 97. And then, you know, both kinds of strategy games. you got StarCraft Real-Time Strategy. That was released in 1998. Uh, and then you've got turn-based strategy, Civilization II. Still kind of uh, sort of the the game to which all turn-based strategy games are compared to and modeled off of. Uh, and then, um, you know, I think... Yeah, I think that's I think that's my list. I think that you can't find like a, a denser period of history in video games that doesn't just create goals, but it sets forth our model for video games. Uh, the, for some of these genres, we still haven't actually broken out of the model set by those games in 1997, 98, um, even now. So uh, for me, it was formative. It was huge for me in terms of uh, in terms of the way that I got into video games, but also. Uh, it was it was transformative for the industry and it created a high level of quality for video games, uh, and it demanded much more of people who made video games uh, than we had seen even two years prior to that. So, an astounding era for video games. I just wanted to get that off my chest. It, incredible. Now, I wasn't expecting to actually talk about Pokemon tonight. If we want to talk about Pokemon, we damn well can talk about Pokemon. We talk about Pokemon in at least three other episodes, so that was the reason well, I was okay, like, no, let's fair. focus on that's console. Fair. But I'm sure that we can tie that in regardless. Now, one question that I have is, where did you play your first video games? Because for me, and I don't know your experience, my parents were very strict. They would not let me buy Nintendo 64. I was in that generation of very sheltered kids who got my fix going over to my friend's house because he had Nintendo 64, and I would play games with him. We'd play GoldenEye, Pokemon Snap, uh, Zelda, Mario, whatnot. Or I would go to the dentist's office because the dentist also had... Nintendo 64 in his office. And I remember that there was one time where I smashed my tooth open when I was like 10 years old. (laughs) I destroyed my tooth. And my parents were probably freaking out. And I was just like, heck yeah, I get to play Mario at the dentist's office. And on that particular day, I had pretty much like just like a shattered like nerve hanging out of like my front tooth. And I would just, like, chill in, playing Mario, doing whatever for, like, an hour because the dentist was really busy because it was an emergency. That was sort of my 
my quintessential Nintendo 64 experience. I did have a Game Boy. I did have Pokemon. Uh, I didn't get my first console, though, until GameCube. So pretty much all my Nintendo 64 experiences were shared, which I do think may have colored my experience a little bit. Because while I definitely have an appreciation for a lot of the more single-player games, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, I feel like I played a lot of the collaborative games more. Games like NFL Blitz, which was a big game for me. Uh, Mario Kart, another big game for me. Mario Party. So that might have colored my experience a little bit, because I really could only play at friends' houses. When I was at home and playing by myself... I was mostly on the computer doing backyard baseball or whatnot. So now, for you two, where was your first exposure to the N64? Did you have parents who allowed it into your home? Or were you sort of having to live off of the generosity of your friend's parents? Um, for me, surprisingly, we talked a little bit about kind of my background and you know, kind of going to Liberty and being, you know, a Christian, then you figure that I would be sheltered, and I was in a lot of ways, but not from video games. That was never a thing that I was really sheltered from or hidden from. Um, my uncle was always a gamer, and my dad was always interested in games, but wasn't really, like, super into games, but um, he did still kind of was cool with them being in the house, and that my mom didn't care if my dad didn't care, and so... Um, yeah, I started, like, I had a Nintendo Entertainment System as a kid. Um, I didn't get it until the 90s. Like, I wasn't, you know, two playing games. Like, you know, I was, like, seven or eight or something. Um, but I had a Nintendo. I had a Super Nintendo. Um, we had games on the computer. Um, and so then, eventually, you know, by the time the Nintendo 64 came around, it was just an issue of, like, can you pay for this thing? We're done paying for these things for you. And so my first exposure to the N64 was... <laughs> was renting it from Blockbuster, which I don't know if you guys are watching that experience. Oh, God, Blockbuster. um, Like, you basically had to, like, leave, like, charge $250 to your card that they would refund on top of, like, the 40 that they were, like, going to charge you to keep it for a week. It was the the biggest ripoff in the history of mankind. But when you don't have the, you know, full cost of an N64, but you want to play for a weekend, like, that's, you have to do it, so... Um, in terms of, like, N64 and the other, like, kind of, um, you know, any other 90s, late 90s era video games, a lot of those experiences were with friends because I just didn't have the consoles until I got my own N64. Um, and, and then that was, like, that was my console. Like, you know, I played some PS1 games, so, like, you know, Reef mentioned, like, Final Fantasy, and he didn't mention Gran Turismo, which, you know, kind of another defining game in the racing game right. genre. Um but, uh, yeah, like, those were never my games. Like, I was totally, like, yeah, Super Mario, Ocarina of Time, um, stuff like that. And so, yeah, so it was always just kind of, like, once I had the money to, to do all that, like, once I had, like, you know, begged for on enough birthdays and Christmases and saved up money, like, I always just had one. So video games have just kind of always been there. I never was really sheltered from them. Like, I got in trouble for buying Grand Theft Auto on my own once, but, like, that was the only time that, like, video games ever caused, like, a conflict for me. Yeah, um, I guess I, I would probably say that my parents tried to shelter me as much as possible, too, so I guess we all have that in common. Um, you know, console games were not something that, uh, you know, my mom was interested 
in letting the family buy. So most of my experience growing up with video games uh, was either, you know, sneaking off to it. Like I couldn't actually go to this friend's. I had to sneak off uh, to this friend's house um, to play video games on his console. Or I occasionally, like my brother would have like a party and his friends would bring like a Super Nintendo or something like that. But mostly my experience with video games had to had to do with computers. So I'm still like a, a huge uh, computer gamer at heart. I'm still not a huge console guy, not because I dislike it. It's just like not uh, as important or as big to me. Um, but yeah, um, my experience growing up has mostly just been uh, actually, because uh, my brother's like eight years older than me, watching my brother play video games. Uh, that was like my first experience with video games. And I didn't actually get around to playing any of the video games uh, until much later. And I was I was like crazy in love with watching uh, video. Like I would watch uh, the most boring game. Like Civilization Two, for example, is not a watchable game. And I would watch my brother play it for hours. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, so mostly my experience is uh, is is watching basically a live let's play. Uh, is how I kind of experienced video games at first. And then I actually started playing PC games. I started playing Super Nintendo games. Um, played some Sega games. I had a different friend who had a Sega Genesis. Uh, that was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, was, my, my parents refused to buy a, uh, uh, a a video game console. My brother ended up like uh, you know mortgaging a lot of his allowance towards one and then hiding it somewhere in the house. Um, but you know, for the most part, it was uh, it was computer gaming. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm all about Let's Plays. I think, for me, why I watch Let's Plays is just because the reactions are hysterical. Especially if it's a game that you already know what's going to happen, or you have a feeling what's going to happen, but they haven't played it before. Just watching that reaction when all of a sudden something jumps out of them is entertaining. I'm guessing while your brother is playing Civ, oh, you just got stabbed by Caesar. Okay, now you're, you're done. Uh, that's all the fun of Let's Playing, and that's something that I understand why that's gained popularity because, first of all, it is fun to watch that reaction. And also, for me, there are certain games that I either wasn't in the position to buy or that I wasn't ever going to play or I wanted to get an idea before buying. And it's good to have, like, people playing it and then you can get a perception of whether you'd like it or not or you can just enjoy the game without having to spend money. So, I'm all about Let's Plays. I love them, so... Moving on, though, now we're going to get a little bit more ingrained into the games themselves. And we're going to start with Zelda. Leo mentioned that he is an Ocarina of Time fan. I would say that Ocarina of Time, fairly universally, is considered to be the best Zelda game. Would you agree with that, or would you have another one in mind? Uh, okay, so here's this is, this is tough, because this is kind of like picking between children when you're a parent. Um... <laughs> Especially because, like, you've got the the younger child and the older child and stuff. Because for me, and I know, I know, Ethan, that we're going to have an issue here because I'm not even going to come close to mentioning the one that you want to include here. But uh, Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time are the two best Zelda games, and it's very which one I prefer. I put more time into Link to the Past, which is a Super Nintendo one. For those who are not aware, I put way more time into that one. But I don't know if that's because it was better or because it was, like, easier for me to understand and, like, just kind of, like, more fun to me because of just the top-down perspective and everything. Just kind of, you know, because I was always more of a fan of, like, Final Fantasy and stuff like that. And Ocarina of Time was a little more platformy. Um, 
and and kind of actiony, and those weren't really like what I was looking for, and still aren't. Like I, I like they're fine, and like it's it's a great game, and I love it. But like I think kind of that top down nature of Link to the Past and just its art style was so good. Like even today, like Ocarina of Time looked great at the time, but any early 3D game just does not hold up anymore. But Link to the Past and that art style and the way that that game looked like still look like obviously like you know the aspect ratio or in the you know the amount of pixels or whatever are, aren't up to par with modern games but yeah as we saw like they they did a basically a spiritual successor using the same art style for the you know 3ds or whatever and it just looked great like the concept is there like this was it was such a good looking and fun game and so so i guess i'll just i'll say i'll just plant my flag there that link to the past was the best zelda game and then ocarina of time is second and we have to go outside of the 90s for the third best one because it's not the other N64 one. Yeah, uh, I actually, uh, I sort of agree with Leo uh, insofar as those are probably my top two, but I think the top three are all extremely close. Uh, for me, actually, uh, my favorite is Operator of Time. I think that um, the, I mean, the, the gameplay in Ocarina of Time, uh, it just, it feels so much smoother. Like, everyone loves the masks in Majora's Mask, and, uh, and I get it. I mean, there's a lot of depth of play as a result of it, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because Ocarina of Time established it or, or whatever, but the, the gameplay itself, the gameplay mechanics are really great. And I thought the dungeons in Ocarina of Time, um, are, are period the best dungeons in, in all of Zelda. Uh, and, and because of that, because I think that's fundamentally what a Zelda game is, uh, that's kind of just the way I have to, have to lean. So I think like Majora's Mask has like a, a cooler story. Um, I think uh, Link to the Past is like a bunch of underrated aspects about it. Like, I mean, you could talk about like the music. I think that Leo's right about the graphics and how like shockingly they ended up being kind of timeless in a way that a lot of games from like, you know, the late nineties are not because of the graphics. Um, and I like sort of a lot of the depth of character that you get in like Majora's Mask. I love the side quests and all of them, but I think that I think that the thing that stands out to me about the Zelda games, the the dungeons, are the things that Ocarina of Time kind of mastered more than anyone else. I'm not going to say that I hate Ocarina of Time because I know there are some people who really don't like it, and I agree it did establish how a lot of these games should work, and it was the OG game. The original game, I guess. I still think Majora's Mask was better. Because what Majora's Mask tried to do with the story is similar to what Final Fantasy VII tried to do with the story. And I'm a story-oriented person. I always try to look for the most compelling ways to convey a message. And Majora's Mask was extremely ambitious for its time for me. The story was deep. It was dark. It was a game for children but it was also something that appealed across the spectrum to everyone. There are so many different intricacies with how you can play it, all the different characters, all the different like sad storylines that came up. Maybe I'm just a dark person, but those are all things that really spoke to me. And I liked Ocarina of Time, but I feel like maybe because Ocarina of Time was such a discovery-oriented thing because I hadn't really played something like that before, and no one really had... Majora's Mask was able to build on that and sort of was able to figure out the gameplay kinks and then make the story even stronger. Because for me, just the story of Majora's Mask is 
exquisite and the characterizations are really good. So I would put that a step above. And I also want to give love to one game that wasn't mentioned here a little bit later, but I think it's one of the best Zelda games there is. Uh, I really liked Wind Waker. And I know that's a little bit oh, yeah. later in the franchise. Yeah, no, no, like, I mean, that's, that's a step in, like, you know, a couple of years out of the 90s there. But yeah, no, Wind Waker's a great yeah, game. I would argue that if I were to rate the top three Zelda games, I would go Majora's Mask, and then I would go Ocarina of Time, and then I'd go Wind Waker. Because that was another innovative game that really felt open world. I mean, you're sailing everywhere, the characters were all really likable, the story was really deep. That's a really, really underrated game, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I would go, I would go, if I was going to do a top three, and if we're going to include Wind Waker, then my top three would be Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, and then Wind Waker. Um, because, yeah, I think that it is the improvement on Ocarina of Time that you guys kind of are mentioning that, or that Ethan in particular is mentioning that uh, Majora's Mask is. Because Majora's Mask, here, here's the thing with Majora's Mask, in, and this is totally, like, this is what divides people on this game. Is it's the, the time mechanics and the, oh, well, you just have to know that you just play the song and you can manipulate time and you can reset the day and you can make time move slower and you can make time move faster. And it actually only moves when you do all these things. And it just, it was so many things. There were so many, like, little details and all the, and that's just not, I, I wasn't into all that. And then also, like, the story was dark and I kind of got the story and wasn't feeling it, like, at all. Like, it, I was just kind of not into it, but part of it is like just, you know, at some point your, you know, confirmation bias of, I don't like this game because of the stupid time mechanic, and so also this story's stupid, and so also I don't like it. Like, you know, I, like, you know, if I played it again today, would I probably like it more, I'm sure, because I'm sure that the time mechanics are easier to understand for someone who's 29 than for someone who's, you know, 14, but um, either way, like, it, like, I feel like what Wind Waker did was kind of just take a huge next step, and obviously hardware had to do with that. Um, and I really like that art style. That's another thing that people complain about with uh, Wind Waker. But I really think that the art style, the, the kind of cel-shaded uh, look to it was just beautiful and it was different because Majora's Mask and uh, Ocarina of Time obviously looked pretty similar. So, Yeah, and I think that's. I think the more we talk about this, the more I kind of feel Leo's statement about like how this is basically choosing between children because, like, you know, it, for, for me, you know, uh, I'd probably put Wind Waker fourth out of, you know, all the Zelda games, which feels kind of like, oh, you've got it fourth. It's like sort of, an, it's like not as, and, and that's like not really true. I think Wind Waker was a phenomenal, it was an excellent game. And I think that, uh, Leo, you're right, it's super bold too. And, and not just with uh, its gameplay choices, but with its art choices. I actually, I, I like the Tetzel animation a lot. I think it's, uh, led to some, you know, later pretty good games, and I think that because of the way they chose to animate the game, it stands out um, as a, a little timeless, but also it stands out as kind of like unique. You kind of always remember that about Wind Waker, and I think uh, Ethan, you're right that like the open worldness of it was was super cool, it was super interesting, um, and you know, normally I'm really drawn to games that have you know, extraordinary stories above anything else. I'm playing Dragon Age right now. I think that it's got some of the best lore in modern gaming that we've seen in a while. Uh, I got drawn into the Halo lore of all things, which is like for a first-person shooter, who would have thought? Um, and so, you know, normally I would for Majora's Mask, and I, I do like the sort of the dark storytelling and stuff like that, but, um, you know, it, it's breaking ties at this point, and, uh, you know, Wind Waker was a phenomenal game. 
Uh, and, you know, George Mask was a really fun game. Length of the Past was, was excellent. Ocarina of Time is, is uh, you know, genre-defining. Uh, so, yeah, it's super tough to decide between, like, all four of these for me. Uh, and um, I'm glad you brought up Wind Waker because I kind of almost forgotten about it in sort of the pantheon of Zelda games. And Zelda does have a very deep pantheon, and I wanted to address this. There is an official timeline for Zelda, oh. and it sucks. <laughs> it's very confusing, and it doesn't make any sense. Where basically in one reality, no Link kidding. dies, and the other one, he survives. It's very, very complicated. You can look it up in your own time if you want. But honestly, I think that we can do better. So, from all the Zelda games that you've played, what is the reality that you think Link and all the characters live in? Do you think it's a case where, sort of like James Bond, these are all different heroes? Uh, do you think that this is the same guy, sort of transcending time, coming back, back, back? Do you think it's a lineage, uh, passing down generation, generation? There have been a lot of different theories, but what do you personally subscribe to when it comes to uh, who Link is? I mean, wasn't kind of the premise of, and I haven't played it in a while, but wasn't kind of the premise of Wind Waker that, like, Link was just the chosen, like, child of the village who got to wore the green suit? Like, I always, like... Maybe that's just me, like, misunderstanding or, like, oversimplifying something, but, like, that's just kind of what it's always been, is that, like, Link and, like, you know, the the implied, like, Link to the past is, like, just the kid who has the special powers in the village who does the stuff to save the village from whatever's going on, um, or the world, you know, because that generally winds up being the world. Um, And so, yeah, like, that's kind of my timeline, is it's just, like, this is, yeah, Link is just the name of whatever the kid who has the ability to manipulate time and wield a sword despite being, like, ten. I actually pulled up the official Zelda timeline, and I just wanted to call out what they're talking about when they articulate Nintendo's vision of how this timeline works. So, essentially, Skyward Sword the world is created, and Hylia is reincarnated. Then there's the Minish Cap, there's Four Swords, and then Ocarina of Time is the Nexus. That is sort of the point where things begin to split off a little bit. So, the Dark World is formed in the Sacred Realm, and then Ganondorf turns into the Demon King Ganon. And then essentially the hero can either win or lose. Now, if the hero loses, then that's A Link to the Past, Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages, where Ganon's revived, Link's Awakening, and then uh, a lot of sort of the bad games are in that realm, to be quite honest. Um, But then, if the hero wins, there's a whole other timeline, where essentially uh, they chase Ganon into another realm, into the Dark Realm, Majora's Mask, allegedly only takes place in a dark realm where Link is dead, but he is trying to still pursue Ganon, or at least that Link is dead. And then that segues into Twilight Princess, which segues into Four Swords, because there's a lot of like mystical stuff that happens in those games. And then if the hero wins and stays in the World of Light, then there's Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass. So there's 
a lot of different timelines. I explained it really badly, but it doesn't matter. Overall, my biggest question is, how do you think all these games work? I mean, to me, it's most convenient to say that it's sort of like a James Bond situation where there are just different guys with the same sort of uniform. And maybe it's coincidental that they wear it, but that's just sort of how it is. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same same boat that it's just Link is the special powered kid from the village who gets to wear the green elf suit. And that's just, you know, no matter if he's winning or losing in the previous game in the timeline or whatever, like that, that the whole them putting together a timeline based on a series that started with just the most simple of games that they weren't even planning on, you know, they couldn't have foreseen when they made the very first Zelda game that it was going to go on to be what it is. So Link is just an adventurer from one of these villages. That's a kid who can, you know, handle swords and throw boomerangs and stuff. And that's, that's fine with me. I don't need a a bigger overarching story. Like each of the stories on their own are good enough that I really need it to be some huge narrative. For me, uh, something similar. It's just like every, every, uh, Zelda game is uh, it, within its universe. It's like you know hugely impactful. Obviously, he's like saving Hyrule, um, and so to me, it's just basically like every time there's another Link game, that's just it's. You could either say it's rebooting the franchise or it's another universe. But to me, they're all completely separate universes that are not linked to each other by time. And I, I I agree. I think it's really convoluted to put together a timeline. Uh, to bring all of these games together in a chronology, which like that doesn't make any sense to me. So they're all completely separate universes to me, um, because I don't. When I'm thinking it, these games don't make sense in the same universe at all, even if they're like different links in the same universe. Uh, just because like they all they all save the same kingdom, uh, they all have pretty global implications within whatever universe this is in. Um, and all of the, all of the, the kingdoms that are named Hyrule look pretty different. Um, so, so to me, this is, it's just like a rebooting the franchise every time you release a a Zelda game. And there's definitely a sort of temptation to try and unite everything. I mean, I don't know if either of you watch Game Theory at all, but that's a YouTube channel where pretty much everything can be unified or combined some sort of universe. And we're going to circle back to Zelda because I know that there's a lot of takes to be had. And I, I think I can get behind potentially having Majora's Mask on our top five list that we'll end the show with. Uh, but we're going to go to Mario because Mario is also a ubiquitous character in this universe. Everyone remembers their first reaction when they played Mario 64 because it was just so incredible. Uh, this world that really hadn't been explored before, this way of exploring it that was entirely new. What was your first reaction when you played it? Yeah, it was it was that. It was, holy crap, this is like you know, having played so many hours of Super Mario World and like, but just having no idea what to expect with this new game and just th- that first, the first kind of like getting into the castle and like just like learning how the crazy thought of learning how to like understand that you're like you have a camera behind Mario and you can look around and like you can push the buttons and like look in different directions and like jumping up on top of the tree 
and like looking, you know, it's just, it, it was, it was, it was, it's, it's, and it's kind of like I was saying with Ocarina of Time, that, like in Majora's Mask to a certain extent too, that even though today you look at those games and you're like, this is ugly, like because it's early 3D and that's just kind of the nature of it. Like it, we've advanced so much in that technology at the time, it was mind boggling. It was incredible. It was just this kind of like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like it didn't matter that like every single cartoon you'd ever watched look better because you weren't able to like play those. And it wasn't, it wasn't Mario and it still, it did a good enough job of like making everything look like the characters, you know, like you could tell that it was Toad. You could tell that it was, you know, the Lakitu. And I'm sure that there's 15 million ways we pronounce that. We can beef that out later. Um, but like you could tell, like what these things are, and like, it, but they, it was just in this new perspective that, like, particularly for like you know a teenager, was just ridiculous. Like I just, I, I, it was it was tough to process, but it was also like one of those like in the moment, like it's it's tough to describe because like you can't recreate that experience in 2016. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I I had like a sense of awe. I mean, I enjoyed this game. A ton, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on Nintendo when they were designing this game. It was the flagship game of an entirely new generation of consoles uh, that was already itself pretty ambitious with what it was trying to do. Uh, and I mean, it nailed it. It was it was incredible. It was an enormous universe uh, for for its time. Like I, I don't remember uh, like a, a bigger, uh, more detailed uh, universe um, than than when that came out uh and i guess i i didn't just i didn't expect all of the new mechanics uh in a mario it was it's not really a game with a bunch of mechanics but i mean you know like Leah said you've got like the camera moving around and you've got like the triple jump and like the 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 way to like pound the ground differently um and uh, and you just you can change the way that you jump uh, and it, which is like a weird thing. Like who, who thinks of jumping as like a modifiable mechanic? You change the way that you jump and, uh, and it does different things to your characters. Some of which are like necessary because there's no other way of jumping at this particular level. Some of which are just necessary in order to advance. Uh, and, uh, I think it's, I think it's like almost infinitely replayable. I mean, even with sort of the issues that come with playing like a, you know, a Nintendo 64 game graphically, just trying to play this terrible 3d engine. Um, even with that, it's still pretty great, uh, in terms of being replayable. It's fun. Uh, you can pick it up at like any time at any place in the story and play it. Um, and I guess I, I can't get over sort of the sense of awe I had, when I first, like, when I walked by, like, the video game section of Target and saw Super Mario 64, you know, in in one of their, like, playable little showcases and just starting to play it and just having incredible amounts of fun. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was astonishing. Like, I, I loved that game. Uh, and so that, that was, like, that was my feel is that I just, I, I couldn't get over sort of how amazing, you know, this accomplishment was. And there's, like, a bunch of other 64 games that, like, were really impactful, like Rogue Squadron was amazing, and, you know, like I said earlier, GoldenEye was amazing, but I don't think anything was as awe-inspiring. Um, it, it's weird as that sounds about, like, a Mario game uh, as uh, Mario 64, because I think it really, it, it showcased the, the console really well. 
there is something very special about Goldeneye, and I know that we're talking about Mario, and we're going to jump back to Mario in a little bit, but Goldeneye's come up a few times, and I just got to say that playing that game with other friends, I really can't think of many other games in person where I've gotten the same feeling that I got from playing Goldeneye, you know? Like, just, like, sneaking around, like, sniping people from corners. It's a special thing that... I mean, do you think that it's been replicated even in this age where a lot of people play multiplayer? Because I think it's pretty hard to do. There's just something a little bit special about maybe the graphics are slightly worse, but uh, I don't know. There's just something unique to me about GoldenEye that isn't necessarily captured in a lot of other games. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Like, the the main issue with, like, looking back at GoldenEye now is that the control scheme was contrary to what would be established by Halo and Call of Duty and, you know, other major tentpole first-person shooters for later consoles because the concept of having two analog sticks just wasn't a thing really yet. And, like, the way that, you know, GoldenEye did it was, was great because you still had, like, all of the different options for, like, different sorts of weapons and, and like, you know, like, grenades and mines and things like that. I mean, it would rotate through weapons and pick up weapons and stuff like that. So, like... All that stuff was there, it just wasn't executed in a way that is considered modern anymore. But it was the first real shooter game that like had any sort of impact on a console, which is you know crazy in retrospect that Nintendo was the platform that that came out on. Um, <laughs> but um, no, like it, it, like I would be hard pressed to keep that off of our top five list because I do think that the shared experiences that were had with that game for pretty much anyone who ever played it with friends or, or you know, just a social setting, like, it was, it, like, it was even beyond the Mario experience, because the Mario, the Mario 64 experience was, oh, cool, this is Mario in a way I've never seen it before, but not only was GoldenEye, like, an action game in a way I've never seen it before, but it's also an action game in a way I've never seen it before against my friends, in this competitive way that we haven't seen before. So there were just so many kind of levels of, of new and innovative to it that are just, you know, it's objectively, was it, you know, even like at the time, you know, using just some sort of like ranking system, was it the best shooter ever? Like, absolutely not. But it's the fact that it was the first and the fact that like, you couldn't play it online and you couldn't play it, via a land you had to have four people crowded it on you know one system and so there's that you know there's the the cheating and there's the trash talk and there's the grabbing your friend's controller and and throwing it across the room because you're mad that they were looking at your screen and like all of that stuff was there and that was that was all a part of it like if you if you know if you're a 17 year old right now and the first you know shooter game you ever played was like call of duty modern warfare 2 like you won't ever experience that because your first time playing against other people was against just these terrible people online who were just you know, <laughs> yelling profanity at you all the time. And those games are great, don't get me wrong, but there was something about that couch experience. And there are some games today that kind of do the like couch multiplayer stuff, but they, they, it, nothing's, no, nothing can obviously recreate kind of the newness and like the spectacle of, of what you know, a golden eye accomplished relative to everything that had come before it, which was like the only way you played video games against other people was like dialing up to servers on, you know, like, you know, PC shooters, which was not a thing that most people had access to. 
Uh, yeah, no, I think, um, so this is actually kind of interesting. So if we're constructing like a top five, so the question is like, is the top five like sort of the most impactful at the time or like the game that you most want to replay right now? Because, you know, I would probably not want to play Goldeneye right Definitely now. Not. Over, nope. yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially over like Mario Kart, that's super playable, right? Like yes. right now, it's super playable. Um, I even think Mario 64 or whatever. I think the way to think about it, at least the way that I conceived of it, are the top five games from then that, looking back in hindsight, were the most impactful or the best. Not necessarily the ones that you would want to play right now. Okay. Well. Okay. Perfect. So I think it would be difficult to keep Goldeneye out of this conversation. I think. One of the one of the interesting things about Goldeneye um, is so like yeah it's it's one of the first first person shooters but they made some very important choices when they were designing this game that would define shooters uh, forever so uh, it was originally designed to be like a rail shooter which is just like a fixed position you kind of aim your mouse or cursor or console whatever. Uh, at various parts of the screen, and then the game would move forward. It's kind of like Time Crisis 2, right? That was originally the design, and they, they didn't do that, which was great. They made it sort of like uh, a free-flowing, I, I don't want to say open world because that means so much right now about the things that your character can do, but at the time, kind of open world where you could just go around and do stuff and move of your own accord. Uh, and like your, I mean, your aim matters and like a bunch of things that, you know, didn't exist like in the Duke Nukem or Doom games or in like the Time Crisis games, whatever, um, that, that exist in, in Goldeneye are the things that we depend on in our modern first person shooters, maybe not mechanically sort of in the same way, but like idealistically, it's the same, it's the same thing. And, and Goldeneye playing against my friends is probably the first time I, could be a little shit in a competitive setting. It was very formative to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we, I mean, and we would establish, like, these rules, and I would constantly abuse them. Like, I remember there was, like, the, if a character has no weapons, you can't you can't kill them, like, in the multiplayer <laughs> when we're playing. Like, and I was just like, well, I can I can switch my weapon to make it look like I don't have any weapons. So I'll just, like, walk around as if I don't have weapons and I'm looking for weapons. Uh, and then uh, when someone else turns around, I'll pull out my rocket launcher. Jesus, this is so easy. <laughs> and so I would keep it. We would establish new rules, new rules, and I would keep doing that. So my friends hated me. So I loved Goldeneye. <laughs> so clearly, Arif just um, sucks. Just not a good human being. Is what we're learning no, from it's, this. It's definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, just like judging by this conversation, I think three of the slots for our top five are pretty set. Mario 64 for sure. I think I'm going to go along with Ocarina, even though I love Majora's Mask better. You can't deny that Ocarina was the original, and got to give love to that. And then I think Goldeneye as well. Uh, there are a lot of other games, though. And right now, I just want to open the floor. Uh, we're going to go in a rotation. I have some franchises, some games that I want to bring up, uh, potentially getting some opinions on them, and we'll end up coming to consensus on the last two to fill our top five. So we'll go in order. Let's start with Leo, actually. Leo, are there any games that you want to call out that were especially formative to you? And then Arif and I will give our opinions on them. Okay. Um, so are we kind of trying to focus on N64 here, or are we expanding out to 
the nineties. Well, let's ex- let's expand everywhere. Let's let let's make this as open ended as possible. This this is the discussion time. Okay, this is this is where it gets a little bit crazy. Nostalgia because like I don't want to throw like because it's going to be impossible. It, it, even more impossible because this is still going to be impossible. Like if I threw out like Firewatch right now, like there's absolutely zero way to compare Firewatch or like I know Ethan, you talked a lot about Undertale. Like it would be impossible to compare Undertale to all of these games that we're talking hey, about. Hey, so someone's bring up Earthbound. Like just... <laughs> I'm, I'm, da- I'm down to talk about that, but we'll see. Um, but the first game I'm going to throw out, and this is this is probably my favorite game ever. Um, if not, it's it's right up there. Um, and that would be Chrono Trigger. Um, mm. Chrono Trigger and or Super Mario RPG, and like I'll concede one or the other if you guys agree better on one, and we can kind of hold it up as like the Super Nintendo era RPG. But both of those games, for different reasons, uh, were just absolutely fantastic. Just these huge games with really long stories that were interesting to me. Like the the stories in even like in Ocarina and, and in um, yeah, Mario 64's story, quote unquote, whatever it was there. Um, like those didn't matter to me. And like I never really cared because that was all about like the action of it. But like with Super Mario RPG and with Chrono Trigger, like the the story was so important. And, and those games were just so, the music was so good. The, the, the gameplay style, like that's, that's, a, that's a classic to me. That's probably one of my favorite gameplay styles is the traditional um, RPG with the, you know, uh, either active or passive, like pick your moves, and then the other the enemies get to pick their moves, and sort of that that sort of mechanic. Um, it, but I think you know, Chrono Trigger just stands out because it's that story is it's it's this incredible like improvement on what the Final Fantasy stories were, and people will probably debate the early Final Fantasies. Obviously, we're not talking about once you get into seven, eight, nine, stuff like that. But, like, it was just this this super, like, it doesn't make a ton of sense, like, okay, yeah, this guy and this frog and this princess go on a time-traveling, like, it doesn't make sense when you try to synopsis it, but, like, when you're playing it, it just all kind of made sense, and it was like, oh, yeah, we gotta do this, and there was this really good sense of, like, scale of this incredible story, but, like, also this kind of, like, urgency to it, like, I really felt like I needed to, like, save time and save the world from, you know, it was just, I, I don't know, it's, it's really tough to put into word with a lot of these things, because, like I said, looking back at it, like, you know, I could obviously explain 50 video game stories since that are probably better, objectively, but at the time, like, this huge, fun to play, and also really good story game for the Super Nintendo was just, you know, kind of unheard of, even, even compared to other similar games, it just did it so much better in pretty much every way. Yeah, no, uh, actually, Chrono Trigger is not a game I expected to be brought up, but actually, that's a really good point. I, that was that was really immersive, I think, is what you're trying to get at, and uh, and the story was done excellently. I mean, it was complex, it was beautiful, I think, is a really good way to put it. And uh, as much as, um, you know, I like, you know, like the Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, slash 4, 5, 6, um... I think that I think that, that Chrono Trigger like sort of took the ball and ran with it really, really, really well in a way that you know we don't see. And I thought you know uh, Super Mario RPG was done amazingly well. I thought you know Paper Mario was done really well. 
Um, the console RPGs, which is not something I've ever really been attracted to in terms of RPGs, um, I thought that that Chrono Trigger was it was it was just uh, astounding. Um, but if we're gonna if we're gonna like talk about you know some of these games that uh, you know if we're gonna like move off from Nintendo and move to just sort of this general area of time, if we're gonna talk about RPGs, I can't I can't get past Baldur's Gate. Uh, we would not have uh, you know Neverwinter Nights. We would not have uh, Dragon Age. We wouldn't have uh, maybe even Witcher actually uh, without without Baldur's Gate. Uh, it was. Astounding. I mean, it was basically a novel that was turned into a game, although that's not actually what happened. I mean, it was all written for the game, and actually the novel for it is pretty awful. Do not read it. Uh, but uh, it was it was maybe the, the most... It was the game that sort of best embodied the concept of in-game storytelling to me, especially at, like, at 1998. I mean, uh, obviously there's some really rich universes that were already... You know, that already were extant, right? There's the Final Fantasy universe, there's the, the Chrono Trigger universe, I mean, there's the Fallout universe, and I think uh, there's a Bioshock universe at that point, I don't know. Um, there's obviously, like, games that maybe themselves created a, a, a more interesting universe for the game. Baldur's Gate kind of borrowed a universe, but I think that the way they told the story, the way that you played the game within that story uh, was was unmatched for the time. Um, it's, I don't think it's as complex, really, as like the NES Chrono Trigger story or SNES uh, Chrono Trigger story, but it's, uh, it's. I think it is even better storytelling, and that's a really high standard. I think that Chrono Trigger was obviously sort of one of the best. So, uh, if we're going to expand out beyond like Nintendo, I would put that there, uh, and I think a sneaky good uh, top five pick, probably not actually in the top five, but like a dark horse for like pre nineteen ninety nine games, uh, Turtles in Time, man. What a great arcade game. That's a good take. I'm going to be honest, though. I'm not a huge console RPG guy. It never was something that was really appealing to me. I don't know why. I think I'm the kind of person who I like something a little bit more linear, something where I feel like I'm progressing a little bit more. I don't feel like I have to, like backtrack or, like, go back and do a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, that's just not something that I like doing. I just find it to be a complete waste of time. Um, and I never played Baldur's Gate. That's on my list of games I have to play if Arif is saying so many good things about it. Um, the games that really jumped out to me that I wanted to make a case for that maybe a little bit off the beaten track, uh, I think Conquer's Bad Fur Day is a phenomenal game. <laughs> Definitely off the beaten track. That is off the beaten track, but I'm going to make a case for it. Uh, first, I think the humor in that game is amazing. It's one of the funniest games there is. Um, the gameplay overall, like, I mean, it's the same as, like, Banjo-Kazooie, except it's funnier. Like, Banjo-Kazooie was a pretty good game, but Conquer's Bad Fur Day had all these, like, secret jokes, and I actually replayed it when I was in college, and... I had played it once before when I was, like, a lot younger. When I replayed it in college, I was like, man, this is, like, one of the funniest games I've ever played. Like, it was one of those first cartoons where uh, if an adult was, like, watching over the kid's shoulder, they would get the jokes, you know? But it was still very accessible, and some of the set pieces in that game were amazing. I mean, the Great Mighty Pooh boss battle is one of the best boss battles in gaming. 
It's just so entertaining. The concept of contextual button usage is brilliant as well, uh, and really was ahead of its time in that regard, where there are so many different ways to tackle every single task, and all of these different uh, environmental things that you could interact with. I submit that in terms of moving us forward and creating a lot of those more comedic games, a lot of more creative ways to look at surroundings and how to use everything, I think Conker's Bad Fur Day was in many ways very ahead of its time. I guess I can't really say I've played enough of it for me to comment intelligently on it, but uh, uh, that's definitely a strong take. I just I don't know if it's a good take, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's probably not, not but <laughs> that, that was my outside-the-box take. Um, Chrono Trigger is a good game, but I, again, I just don't love RPGs. Um, moving a little bit back to Nintendo 64, though, uh, I'm surprised no one mentioned Star Fox. I actually, I have it, so I've got like a little note thing going. I actually do have Star Fox as, as a game that I would potentially nominate for the top five. The thing wow, with Star is Fox a... is that it was so short, and... Yeah, it, it got surprisingly, I don't want to say deep or dark, but it got surprisingly real. Uh, for how short it was. Yeah, and part of it also is, and this isn't Star Fox's fault, but there was no real expansion after the game. Um, I mean, there really hasn't been a sequel, right? Other than, like, the crappy one. Right. Where they, no where they hang with dinosaurs. But otherwise, <laughs> there, really, there really wasn't any sort of substantial sequel. I mean, I think if Star Fox had another game... In some ways, it might be held in higher esteem, but in other ways, kind of like would take away from the specialness of that Star Fox 64 experience. It's a tough choice. Yeah, that was a great game. I think another game that we're not really mentioning for either N64 or Super Nintendo, uh, Donkey Kong uh, Country. Donkey Kong Country. Um, Because, I mean, obviously the original Donkey Kong was not a Donkey Kong game. It was a Mario game. But... um, but, you know, playing as Donkey or Diddy Kong in, uh, in 64 or, uh, or uh, yeah, or the consoles, I, it's just, that was super fun. I thought it was a great game. You're talking about, like, how Conqueror's Bad Fur Day was, was, a, was, a, was a humorous game. We didn't actually see a ton of those humorous games. Uh, we, we saw fun and lighthearted games, but I don't think we saw games willing to just, like, make jokes. Uh, and I think Donkey Kong is definitely one of them. It's super playable. Um, obviously the story doesn't make any sense, but it's super playable. It makes no sense. And it's super fun. It's super funny. Uh, and, uh, I thought they did a really, really good job with that. So maybe, maybe it's not even in the top 10, but it's definitely worth mentioning. I mean, what Super Nintendo Donkey Kong Country would, would probably be in the top 10 if we're, if we're talking about, if we narrowed the scope back down to 90s Nintendo games, it would definitely be there. <laughs> well, then, like, 90s, early 2000s. Let's just keep it in that area. We'll, yeah, we'll play the, around with it. Until the game yeah. Um, even though we talked about Wind Waker, but whatever. What, yeah. Wind Waker's an exception, Wind Waker is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, the, the, the Super Nintendo, I didn't particularly care for the N64 Donkey Kong, I think it was fine, but, like, but the Super Nintendo, all, like, the multiple iterations of it, but the original was the best, in my opinion. Yeah, they, those were great games, and, and it's, uh, yeah, like, I feel like that that's not, but, like, then again, like, I say that it might be the top ten, but like we haven't really talked about Mario Kart yet. Mm-hmm. 
and you know we haven't like and then then we haven't even dove off into the genre that kind of brought us all together in the first place and that's sports games because there's so many like ridiculously good sports games from that era too so like there's just so much that we haven't even started to talk about so maybe you're right maybe it's not even a top 10 but it was well i I would put my foot down on the super nintendo one being better and i think part of that also is is the art style that that like maybe even more than link to the past or any other game like i think that if you just took a screenshot of probably the latest one because they just improved it and figured out how to get more of the system but the way that those games looked is just so good the, the backgrounds were so good the animation of, of the the characters was so good and it, it, it was just a really fun game just to look at and to see like the different environments that they made and everything were just incredible and even when the game got frustrating and stupidly hard like you still kind of came back to it because it was it was funny and it was fun, and it just it looked great. Like it was, it, uh, you could probably argue that it's the best looking game on Super Nintendo. Well, then let's. Yeah, I, I was about to say I, I can't think of another game that got more out of the Super Nintendo than the Donkey Kong Country did. Like, holy crap, they did an amazing job. Definitely, but let's let's talk about sports games since Leo brought it up. Uh, what are the ones that really jump out to you in terms of NBA Jam? Yeah, that's my number one all time. <laughs> just uh, sorry. Normally, I let Leo speak first, no, but no, I just. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, I mean, that's you didn't you didn't need to let me speak there. If that's what you're going to say, because yeah, plus one on that. <laughs> uh, maybe my formative sports game. It was uh, man, that was so fun. I mean, because uh, they needed to find a way to get away from. Like some of the, like, not like the Tecmo Bowl was bad or anything. Obviously, Tecmo Bowl was super fun. But they needed to get away from like the really bad top down look where you actually don't have that much control. Um, it just appears as if you have control. Um, and, and getting away from that to create something like NBA Jam, I mean, it's, I mean, it culturally still has an impact. I mean, like, people still, uh, you know, imitate the announcer from NBA Jam. Uh, it's a he's on fire. He's like, on fire. Like just yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, I had uh, an insane amount of fun playing that. Uh, Ethan, you mentioned uh, NFL Blitz, more fun than probably most of the Madden games. But I also enjoyed the Madden games. Um, and I actually learned uh, football from from Madden probably first. Uh, so. Um, all of those games were were super big and and, and really good, um, and I would you know maybe you could consider Mario Kart a sports game. I think that that's one of the greatest racing games of all time. But uh, NBA Jam as a sports game is is for its time, and then for many many years actually after it uh, is the number one sports uh, number one sports game. Yeah, uh, NBA Jam. And I'll specifically just say Tournament Edition, which I believe was the, the subtitle for the Super Nintendo one. Um, that was yeah. that was a fantastic just version of the game because there's been several like arcade and then subsequent re-releases, and then it like changed to NBA Game Time, and they were all fine, like they were all good. But I feel like that was definitely like, and maybe it was the timing or whatever, but like that that stood out to me as like just a really really good one. Um, but yeah, and then you you mentioned like obviously Madden. Like, I almost feel like at this point, like, the impact Madden had then, like, just every time they've iterated on Madden that it's gone to a new generation or they've introduced new things, like, you just kind of realize that they've kind of actually done a pretty good job of keeping that modern. So I don't feel like there's anything special about it. It was just, it was okay. It was good. Um, 
But to this day, the best baseball games I've ever played were RBI baseball, which I feel like is mm. a little before um, what we're talking about here. But then also uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. baseball games for the Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that those were the best because the problem with baseball games is that at the beginning they were too simple and there was like no strategy to it. It was just time your swing right and a random number generator determines whether you get a hit or not. And then now baseball games are hold down 17 buttons to pitch, but then there's still a little bit of random to it and your pitch might not go where you want it to, even if you like pull off this quick time event perfectly. And then batting is like, well, just move the stick back and forth, and we're gonna—it's gonna determine where your swing plane is. And it's—it's it's too much because you can't make it that complicated because it's not. There's a balance to it, and that balance was right around the era and the execution of those. Uh, games. You got to be careful, man. People will defend MLB as the show at the end of time. Yeah, so. and, and I, I play it. Like I, I honestly, the reason that I have a PS4 instead of an Xbox One is so that I can play the show. Um, because and now that Xbox doesn't even have a AAA baseball game, like it's particularly good that I have a PS4. But no, like I mean, the execution of those those Griffey games was just so good, and like they he didn't even have the MLB player license for the Super Nintendo one, and maybe not for the N64 one. I don't remember, but definitely not for the Super Nintendo one. To the point where I loved that game so much, but I wanted the accuracy that me and my dad actually sat down and put in every name in that the player editor um, of every <laughs> Oh, I totally did that. NCAA yeah. games, oh, yeah. yeah. That was and a thing. It, like, but then, like, that just made it, like, the ultimate baseball game. Like, if somebody, like, I would go on eBay right now and pay, like, 80 bucks for a cart of Kangaroo Jr. for the Super Nintendo that has all of the names of the players. Like, because it was, it was, it was a great game and it, it, it executed on baseball in a way that wasn't too simple and wasn't too complex. Like, you, you had options on what you wanted to do, like the different places you could stand when you swung had impacts on how the ball flew. Like, but it wasn't to the point where it's like you don't have to, you don't have to be a baseball analyst to understand. Like, okay, well, if, if I'm facing a curveball from a left-hander and I swing down in the zone, it's gonna, like you don't need to. Like, it's that it's that balance, that perfect balance of being fun and arcadey, but still kind of being a baseball sim and not being a little too ridiculous. No. Um, and I would say that it's probably, if we exclude Mario Kart from sports games, which I think we should because I think it's its own thing, even if we consider it a racing game, I think it's still its own thing. I would say that it's right there behind NBA Jam as the best sports games from any, probably ever at this point. Like, Football Manager probably excluded because that's an unfair comparison. But Yeah. Um, yeah, like I'm surprised so Ethan hasn't mentioned the backyard franchise yet. Well, I I was going to say that for me, <laughs> and I was going to bring up another game that I don't know if anyone remembers this because this game came out in like 1995 for like MS DOS on the computer. But there was a game called oh, what's it called? I'm I'm getting it up on my phone right now. Um, it was made by Stormfront Studios, the kind of sinister name. They made a lot of the sports games back then. And it was called Old Time Baseball. And this game was, you could play as any player from 1871 to 1995 in this game. It was like pick-up baseball. You could play with like all these historical rosters. They had Kurt Gowdy and Mel Allen, who are two like pretty famous broadcasters doing the play-by-play. 
I really think that that was the game that made me love sports. And unfortunately, really? the random MS DOS game, which yeah, like, how did they get the licensing for that? I, wow. I I think that they just all did whatever. But if anyone is listening <laughs> to this and remembers old time baseball and MS DOS, uh, that game was awesome. I remember that you could play as like anyone, like Al Kaline and like uh, Jackie Robinson, Willie Mays. You could play as any of these old players who had them all on the same team. It was really, really cool when I was four. Um, but yeah, backyard games, I mean, duh. Those games were amazing, but <laughs> Obviously. I, I, I don't, I think that I've already said that plenty. And for the purposes of this, we're gonna try to keep it mostly to Nintendo. I heard Mario Kart be brought up. I'm definitely a fan of Mario Kart. I actually think the best Nintendo Mario-based sports game is Mario Tennis, which I had a lot of fun playing when that was on Nintendo 64. Uh, But Mario Kart is, of course, just a lot of fun. I prefer Double Dash, but that was just me. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I think we just need to hammer out right now because there's going to be... I think we should just put one... One Mario Kart game in the top five with a nod to the whole Mario Kart franchise is pretty good. I'm going to just go ahead and say, though, that, and this kind of, I think that this is unfair that I keep going back to this, but I think that it applies in terms of a tiebreaker. But in terms of the way that they look now, looking back at them, and even, like, at the time, the way that they looked and the way that they sounded, like, I think that the Super Nintendo, Super Super Mario Kart is the best Mario Kart up until... Because I, I enjoyed Double Dash as well. I enjoyed the one on the Wii, um, and even the Wii U one. Um, but I would say that the the original one is still probably my favorite, just because it. I mean, obviously, it innovated the whole thing. But like the way that it looks, even now, and the way that it sounds, like those. That's maybe the most underrated part of Mario Kart, and I don't. Maybe it's not. Maybe people do understand this, and they just don't take it for granted. But like the music of Mario Kart just made it like. If you if you start thinking about Mario Kart right now and you think about driving around a level, like you can hear the music in your head. Yeah, like yeah. I was, I was uh, when we brought up Mario Kart, the, I was thinking of like the uh, the rainbow level music actually. So yeah, it yeah. absolutely brings up the music. And I yeah, mean, and it's, another Mario oriented game that I actually would argue might have been more fun for me than Mario Kart. Mario Party. Mario Party yeah, I mean, three was. Uh, Phenomenal. Mario Party two and three were really formative for me growing up. Maybe that's just me, but yeah, so I think it's super fun. I, I wouldn't bring it up in like sort of the same category of games to me as say Mario Kart. Although it sounds like you're not super high on Mario Kart. Like me yeah, I, I I don't I don't I don't love Mario Kart, and part of it's because to be completely honest, I'm not the biggest fan of racing games. I'm not good at them. <laughs> Which is why I'm not the biggest fan of them. Uh, I mean, I, I can get behind, like, putting it in the top five. I will say that if it were just me choosing it, I would not have it in the top five. Uh, we haven't even talked about one of my favorite games yet. Uh, and I do want to get a little bit closer to actually, like, finishing this up since it's been a little long. But uh, Yoshi's Island is one of my favorite games, too, that... If you're talking about unique art styles, uh, that art style is pretty cool. I think that uh, Yoshi's Island definitely gets like extra credit for uh, some of the stuff it tried to do and, and, and that it pulled off pretty successfully. Um, I, I, th- I thought that Yoshi's Island was really good. 
Um, again, not really sort of a top five candidate to me, but uh, I'm, I'm the hipster of this this podcast. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> um, I I, uh, uh, I don't want to say what they did was necessarily bold, but I thought they made a lot of really good unconventional choices that I thought paid off really well for them. I really enjoyed that game. Uh, a lot, and it was it was it was pretty unique too. So, uh, your thumbs up, I think, for me. See, I I I couldn't justify any list which put like even for its uniqueness that would put Yoshi's Island ahead of, or even and this is probably my hot, my hot take anywhere near Super Mario World. Like, yeah, I don't think that. That's fair. That's like, fair. I think Yoshi's Island like had some fun, cute things that it did, but it was built on a platform of a game that is like I would probably I might not hang up this Google Hangout if we don't put Super Mario World. <laughs> well, um, I mean, that, like like Super Mario World and Super Mario RPG probably were the two games I put the most time into. Well, hold on, how about this question: Super Mario World or Super Mario World Three? Like of those two games. Because I actually prefer three. I agree with that. No, well, sorry, by world I mean the Super Nintendo one. Obviously, let's let's, let's just be clear. Though. I'm not talking about. Okay. Um, and so, so Super Mario Brothers three, the the right. NES one that yeah. you could play on Super Mario All Stars on the, the Super Nintendo. Like those are the two best ones, and that is where the debate lies. Because because two was weird because it wasn't actually a Mario game. It wasn't really, yeah. Uh, it was Doki Doki Panic, I think, is the name of that game in <laughs> Japan. Yeah, and then they just sprite shifted everything. Yeah, yes, yes exactly. Um, Super Mario Brothers One was obviously an a influential game, but it is not great. It's just it's a good platformer that, that when there weren't very many of those already. Um, and then any you know like Mario sixty four was great, but like kind of based on innovation and not based on like just the pure like technical aspects of it. And that's, that's kind of where, like, and, and I, I kind of keep coming back to Super Nintendo, but, like, I feel like that's the sweet spot of, like, lasting art style and a good, like, sound system, good sound chip, good sound production on these games. Um, the visuals, the way that it played, like, the Super Nintendo controller is, you know, it, it's obviously simpler, so you could do less with it, but it's a million times better to use than the N64 controller. Um, yeah. the N64 controller was ridiculous, but like Super Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo is, you know, just so many like optional shortcuts and secrets, and you know, like because Super Mario World or Super Mario Three had secrets and shortcuts and stuff, but they were very simple. They were very go behind this wall and then just skip a bunch of levels, or so get this item and skip a bunch of levels. But Super Mario World had like. Like, there's one level that ends, like, five different ways. And that's just, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like, you haven't really seen anything like that before, from Mario or from anything. I think that's fair. And just from the gist from our conversation, I think I have our top five. Sounds like it's Ocarina of Time. Okay. Mario 64. Super Mario World. GoldenEye. And NBA Jam. I mean, do you only want to choose one? Do we want to leave one more open? Well, because I'm looking at this like list of because but we did include Goldeneye, right? Goldeneye is in for sure. Okay, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we we haven't even brought up like Metroid Prime. We haven't brought up Pokemon, which like if we're sticking to console. Yeah, let's stick to console games. Pokemon is number one as we know, but let's stick to console games. Okay. 
I mean, because there's like a lot of Pokemon Rainbow's like coming too. Um, uh, I mean, games, we but... haven't even brought up, and this is a Sega game, but I wanted to at least throw out Sonic, uh, because... Yeah, we can, we can throw out Sonic. Yeah, literally. Uh, just because, <laughs> yeah, Sonic, Sonic kind of sucks. Okay. Um... <laughs> Sonic is great. Like, I will totally give that. Sonic's music is great. Sonic's and... design is great. Sonic is yeah. a great design 2D character, but you can't do that in 3D. It's that simple. It's it's just the mechanics of a Sonic game. There's the, there's something there that seems fun, and then you do it for about five minutes, and it's not fun anymore. It was really weird to me when they when you say you, say you can't do it in 3D. I remember playing some of those 3D games, and Sonic moved in like really weird directions, and I'm really glad Mario didn't. Yeah. Because uh, um, some of those 3D games, like some of them, were really story heavy, which like maybe don't do that with Sonic. <laughs> um, like, like, what? Why? Uh, and then, like, the nature of the game ended up getting, like, weirder and weirder in a way that you could, like, sort of, like, dismiss. And I, I actually probably like Sonic a lot more than the two of you do, but, like, uh, like the plot, of, even when you get away from, like, the weird storylines where Sonic's living in a city and, and what, whatever, the later games, uh, the storyline of, like, the first game is, like, with Dr. Robotnik has, like, captured a bunch of animals? And they run other robots that you have to defeat. Uh, and you save the animals by killing them. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, but it, it's like kind of weird, and, and you couldn't stop and think about it. Whereas, like, for Mario, if you stopped and thought about it, like, yeah, it'd be silly, but you wouldn't be like, well, screw this, this makes no sense. You'd just be like, well, that's the universe that we're in, I guess. Um, so there was that. Um, I thought Sonic was pretty fun. Um, it was probably culturally pretty impactful, but as a game, yeah, I think that you guys are right that it's not, and it doesn't sniff the top five. An- another game that we, or franchise, I suppose, that we haven't brought up is Mega Man. Yeah, I know a lot of people love Mega Man, yeah. and personally, I was never the, the biggest fan, but I get the appeal where you have a very linear process, it's a lot of shooting, and it's a lot of rock, paper, scissors. It sort of is a precursor to Pokemon in many ways. Type beats type. No, that's true. Um, I, my favorite Mega Man game might actually be, and I've I've played a couple of them, but I haven't finished any of them. Uh, is actually the one that uh, got like it's not actually a Mega Man game; it's the calculator version of the game. We played that in high school all the time. It's because I played a lot of it. That was my favorite. Um, but like, what was it? Mega Man Three, I think, was was pretty astonishing. Was pretty incredible, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, those were all great games. I just didn't play enough of them to really have strong opinions, except the calculator game, which again, astounding. <laughs> yeah, Mega Man X for the Super Nintendo was the one I put the most time into because that one kind of started to integrate some of this like. Like almost, I want to say RPG mechanics in terms of like upgrading your Mega Man and like picking up new pieces for his suit and like adding new abilities as you go. Like not just the ability to like change the weapon he shoots, but like to add like dashing boots and like a helmet that can break blocks and like all this stuff. So I feel like like that was a really good game. But again, like it it was kind of an action platformer in an era where that had kind of already been done by Mega Man games. Like it wasn't unique enough, but um, I'll just bring up, because we can't keep on bringing up new things, I'll bring up one more thing that, like, 
I would maybe put in my top five if I was doing it on my own. But I, I can say that you guys don't, because if you didn't play this type of game, then whatever. But Street Fighter Two was oh, that was great. Yeah, Ooh, Street Fighter Two was pretty much the best fighting game that's ever been made um, to this day, and it. It, as someone who does not like fighting games, I loved playing Street Fighter 2. Um, and so, like, I really feel like that, like, just the... Again, Super Nintendo versus 3D games, not having to deal with, like, the ability to go around in circles and, like, dash to the side and stuff. It's just a 2D plane, two fighters against each other, and the way that it felt and the way that it played and, and the way that you can play against other people and then the, the, the fun of the competitiveness of it. Like, it's... It's my favorite fighting game of all time, which doesn't say much because I don't like fighting games. Um, but I, I, if, if I was doing a top five, it would probably be like fifth or sixth. So. Yeah. The only other game that I would even consider for the top five, I said it earlier, Banjo-Kazooie, because it was a great game. And I think that there are so many... It was a fun game, yeah. I, I, it was really innovative, and it did a lot of really good things. And There are a whole bunch of games that we haven't brought up yet, because we never brought up Diddy Kong Racing, we never brought up whole bunch of others. Um, someone's like, let's talk about Battletoads. Battletoads sucked. We're not talking about Battletoads that much. No, no, no. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I wanted to mention that real quick, because Battletoads did not necessarily suck. Battletoads was... I liked Battletoads, man. It was limited, and, like, it, I feel like if Battletoads was released, like, two platforms later, it would have been way cooler, because I feel like they just wanted to do so much stuff that, like, none of it was perfect, but it was all okay. Like... Okay. Light Special Battletoads is actually mostly Battletoads versus Double Dragon. That was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Alright, that's fair. Uh, before we end with our top five list, people love it when we talk negative about stuff, too. And we haven't really talked about overrated games in your mind. Are there any games from this time period that you think get a little bit too much love? Actually, so I've been talking, I've been praising it, but I actually think Final Fantasy VII does get too much love. I agree. Um, it's it's genre-defining. It's it's very impactful in the way that games are designed and the way that the way that we think about, you know, that genre of games. But I, eh, it itself was not that fun to me. In fact, I actually even liked eight more, which I think is a pretty unpopular opinion, but mostly the Final Fantasy my, my, genre. It, in this call, it is the majority opinion, because I totally agree. My Final Fantasy um, hot take is I think that if you switched the main characters in 10 and 7, I think 10 would be the best game. Because the only reason I don't like Final Fantasy 10 more than 7 is because of the characters laughing. It's totally true. I mean, I will say... there are the one where you've got... with Titus... Character who uh, is a slot machine, isn't that in ten? Uh, I don't remember. I believe so. that's probably right. I trust your brain on this, but all I know is that if you want to talk about a dated game, they're remaking that game. There's some really problematic scenes in Final Fantasy VII. It's going to be interesting to see how they tackle some of the uh, well, the subject matter in there. Remake, pretty much redoing everything, and not to say that they'll do it, you know be completely um, tactful and appropriate with the way that they handled the different themes they were looking to handle in that game, but it doesn't sound like they're just going to recreate, you know, the things that were... But, it, yeah, it's a, it's a Japanese game made in the, you know, mid-90s, yeah. so at some point, yeah, like, you can yeah. use a way, like, you know... 
And, I, I mean, I know this is, like, a slightly nicer game, and we're going to get to the list, I promise, in a second, but we didn't talk about Earthbound, and I think Earthbound's a really good game. <laughs> yeah, actually, it is a really good game. I, uh, I, <laughs> I never played it on... Uh, I always played yeah. it on uh, with ROMs and emulators, um, which is actually probably a superior way to play it. Agreed. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was... It's really clever. It's really smart. It's really fun, uh, and um, I don't know. It's just like I don't want to say quirky because that like puts it in a category that I think is not correct. But it was like weird and funny at the same time, and it it just kind of trusted you to handle it. It was, was a great. little bit like um, Super Paper Mario Paper Mario RPG. Yeah, which by the way, great. Is another great uh, game. Uh, we we could, I mean yeah. we could talk about so games for it. hours. I'll, I'll drop my overrated real quick here. Um, I brought up fighting games. I introduced fighting games. I, I, Street Fighter is one of my favorites. Mortal Kombat is entirely overrated. People just liked it because it uh, was a cool way to get like, oh cool, look at all these gross fatalities. This is so cool. I ripped this guy's head off. It was so cool. Like the, it was not as good of a fighting game, and it, the art style sucked to me. You know, now and as a kid. Um, and I'm sure that this is a controversial opinion because I'm sure people love it, but um, I would say that in terms of overrated, I think that the Mortal Kombat franchise in general is probably one of the most overrated in... A spitting in fire, man. <laughs> uh, I might have to disagree with you there. Um, I think the graphics don't stand the test of time, but when it came out, I was like, these look like real people. This looks like a video. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, no. But... <laughs> I, I had I had a I had a ton of fun playing. I agree, Street Fighter Two is better. I think that people who rate Mortal Kombat above Street Fighter Two uh, are definitively wrong. So in that sense, like maybe it's overrated. But I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I was going to game. say my overrated game was Final Fantasy Seven. So we're we're all good there. Yeah, uh, I think we can all agree that Final yeah. Fantasy Seven is not. The but, game, which I feel like is what people would say. Let, so, let's end off with this top five games from this general era of games that we talked about, which is a very flexible era. I think four were good, right? Ocarina of Time, I think we can all agree, is great. I think we can all agree that Super Mario 64 is great. I think we can all agree that NBA Jam is on the list, and that GoldenEye is on the list, right? So that's four. So then what's number five? I, I would be willing to take 64 off the list to put Super Mario World on the list. I think 64 was so innovative, I think you gotta put it on. That's my opinion. Well, see, I feel like Super Mario World was innovative too, just in, in different ways, obviously, and maybe not as in as in culturally significant ways, but in terms of video game ways, like, it was it was pretty... I think it's not only innovative, but it's done things that really haven't been done well since. Like, I can't think of games that have so many cool, like, secrets and hidden... Like, even, like, you know, like Banjo Kazooie and even Mario sixty four, like the secrets and the hidden things were just like, oh, collect all this stuff, or oh, if you jump right to this weird place, you can get a special thing. Like the way that like the different like keys and blocks and hidden things in Super Mario World, like I feel like it's just done stuff that just has never really been done well again or before. Yeah, I think um, so. I'm I'm always gonna love sixty four because it led to Super Mario Galaxy, one of the least talked about great games. Great game. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, which, I mean, and those, I mean, those two games, it's clear that the spiritual successor to 64 is absolutely, Galaxy is phenomenal. But, 
I have to agree with Leo that it's Super Mario World. Uh, it's that I think uh, defined the Mario genre for. And I think in a way that that Super Mario Brothers didn't. Maybe Brothers Three kind of did, but I think Super Mario World uh, just did a phenomenal job of of defining what it was, not just. Uh, as a genre, as a as a side-scrolling platformer, but like as a as as how it could be culturally impactful, because like Mario is just a part of our culture now. I think that that's yeah. because of the world. All right, so if if we do world, that still gives us four instead of sixty-four. So then, what's the fifth game? So what do we have? We had we had Jam. We, we have, have Jam, Super, Super Mario World, Ocarina, Ocarina and Golden Eye. I submit so, Pokemon I Snap. I'm just kidding. I feel like Cart needs to be the fifth. I, I was about to say, I would say it's Cart, and if it's not Cart, you maybe could make an argument for either, and I don't know if I would, but either Donkey Kong or Star Fox, but I would put Cart as the fifth one. Yeah, I, my vote would be Cart or one of the RPGs, but I feel like the Ethan's not going to support an RPG enough, so I'll put that on like my personal list. I, I, I'm not going to, I mean, I, I get the love for Cart, but I don't know. I can't. I can't put it in my top five. About, you said no. You said it yourself. It was about like the kind of impact that these games had. Like when I asked how we were defining the top five way back at the beginning of the podcast, you said it was about the impact that these games had. And I think definitively, Cart had an enormous, a huge impact, bigger than, uh, unfortunately, bigger than Star Fox. Which I, you know, you're right that we didn't get to, to sort of see the full uh, everything of it. But like bigger than you know Donkey Kong, bigger than any of the the console uh, RPGs on Nintendo, which is kind of weird, um, except for you know Zelda, which we already have on the list anyway. Um, so yeah, I think that yeah, Mario Kart and like people will still like hang out together and play the Super Nintendo Mario Kart. Like, I would argue maybe. that, and this is just me, I would actually argue that if you're going to put a fifth game on this list, that's a competitive game. I think you can make a strong argument for Street Fighter as a Mario Kart. Just because I think that close nature combat really did define the entire side scroller genre that really came out of this. And I'm just gonna fight against Mario Kart because I, I played it. I don't think I don't I don't think that it's that good of a game. I think that it got better with Double Dash. I don't think that first Mario Kart iteration is that good. <laughs> I think Double Dash is a superior game. That's my that's my hot take. Super wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I I could see the argument uh, that it's like less Im- impactful, but like it just doesn't than, than Street Fighter right. Two, but it just doesn't culturally feel that way. All and right. like maybe Street Fighter Two did a lot more to. To, to create and work and define a genre than Mario Kart did, but it just that feels incorrect to me in terms of the impact that it had, especially Cold. All right, uh, so I'm, I'm guessing y'all gonna pick Mario Kart. Mario Kart wins. I disagree with the decision, but I'll deal. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I guess our top five list then is um, Super Mario World, Ocarina, Golden Eye. NBA Jam and Mario Kart. It's a pretty good list. I can agree I with most of those. I will say this: I, we've totally forgot to mention one thing, and we kind of mentioned 
the genre, but we never actually mentioned it because it's kind of a different part of the genre. But we never mentioned Smash Brothers in this entire episode. Holy and like, crap. you know what? <laughs> I, I, knock, knock Mario Kart off the list. Oh my god! We were to, wait, uh, wait. What, what, what's the uh, what happened when there's a new? January of 1998. <laughs> Well, I would put Link to the Past over. I would put Link to the Past over well, okay, Ocarina, but Zelda, yeah. yes. And I would put Majora's Mask over Ocarina. Okay, so we each have a different Zelda game in the top four. Yeah. And then the fifth game, I I choose Mario Kart. Ethan chooses Street Fighter. Mm, I know. I'll go Smash. Smash Brothers. Yeah, I'll go Smash. Okay, yeah. And and I would I would say Chrono Trigger or Super Mario RPG. It would probably just depend on the day and which one I was playing at the time. Kind of a quirky choice, but yeah, I get it. <laughs> and I'd sneak Conker's Bad Fur Day on there in my sixth spot. <laughs> I mean, like, if we're going outside of Nintendo, like, like, Half-Life and Tony Hawk and... Like, I mean, there's a million... Tony Hawk... Wasn't that, like... PC I think Tony Hawk was too. older than that, yeah. Need for Speed wasn't even mentioned, and I played Need for Speed a ton. Oh, I love Need for Speed. But Still take Mario Tony Hawk came out in nineteen ninety nine as well. Like nineteen ninety nine, like nineteen ninety nine was really a good year. It was better than ninety six and ninety eight. Arif's thing at the beginning was wrong. You're just trying to just trying to get me <laughs> riled up. You know you're wrong about this. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gonna end it right there. Gone on for a long time. Uh, Arif, Leo, thank you so much for both joining. This was a lot of fun. We're gonna have to do this again sometime. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, this is super fun. I didn't realize I had this much to say about nineties <laughs> yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and so instead of saying goodbye, I'm just gonna say shout out to the Elder Scrolls, shout out to Mist, <laughs> shout out to <laughs> Worms, and shout out to Grand Theft Auto. All, wow. all great games. Lemmings, <laughs> Lemmings Paintball. That game was big back in the day too. I love Lemmings Paintball in fucking school. What video games do you play? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I only played the most alt video games ever. Um, <laughs> clearly, but all my games are weird. Anyway, uh, we'll be having our normally scheduled, sort of typical podcast next week. I have some amazing interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really, really great. I'm super excited. Uh, thanks for listening. Feel free to leave any comments at my Ethan Ham on Twitter. Download, share with your friends. And until next time, talk to you later.